Sean on a Saturday morning, and you are in the zone on the fan. Dave Sinekin, soon to be joined by Double T, Trent Tucker. Glad to have you with us for the ride. Always wonderful on a nice, snowy, wintry Saturday morning to get into the zone and talk some hoops, talk some football, and uh, just kind of chill for the next couple hours. I am in studio today. Double T will be joining from his palatial manor at home today with parental duties and hockey and kids being picked up and all that fun stuff. So he should join us shortly. Uh, we will hang out until 10 o'clock this morning and talk about the Wolves' stirring victory at Target Center last night, their third in a row, and it's always, always enjoyable to knock off LeBron James and the L.A. Lakers, especially when it turns out to be kind of a snoozer, and that's what it was last night. The Wolves take down L.A. 110-92. Both teams uh, being ravaged a bit by COVID right now, as is the world, uh, not just obviously the sports world, but that's what we focus on uh, on this very radio station. And uh, as I'm sure you know, no Anthony Edwards last night who entered the COVID protocols during the day along with Torian Prince. So he missed the game, and I'm sure likely to miss tomorrow's game against Dallas, and uh, we'll see how long Ant and Prince are out. The Lakers were without four players as well, including Dwight Howard, uh, Avery Bradley, Taylor Horton-Tucker, Austin Reeves. Uh, We thought Russ was going to miss the game, but he was a late uh, return back to the lineup after being on the COVID list. Uh, but that's uh, certainly the story in the sports world this weekend and, and this week as COVID just rained down on all sports leagues. As you know, the wild game today against the Panthers postponed uh, with issues mostly on the Panthers side, I believe. Um, we know the NFL games have been moved, NBA games, some teams have been off, same with NHL. Uh, that is, I think, the reality now of winter, and it's going to be kind of a What's that game you play with the gopher where you, you knock the gopher? Uh... Whack-a-mole? Yeah, whack-a-mole. That's yeah, a mole. It's not a gopher, is it? Why would I pick a gopher of all things to get whack whacked? Whack-a-gopher? Yeah. It's it's like whack-a-mole. You know, which team's got this guy up, which team's down. You just hope your team avoids the pitfalls now uh, as the seasons continue because I don't think this issue is going away anytime soon. Uh, let's welcome my partner, the professor of hoopology. As you know, he is a gopher legend and an NBA champion, and he is double T. Trent Tucker joining via the Connecticut Water Systems Hotline this morning. Good morning, Double T. Good morning, Davies. How are we doing? Uh, things are good, man. How are things on your end? Uh, all is well here. Um, you good. know, it wasn't a bad morning for you to have to stay home because the roads are a little little nasty. A little dicey, huh? yeah, we got some dicey, snow. Huh? I was surprised. I'd, I'd say at least a few inches of snow uh, out yeah. in a talk away. Uh, and the highways are not great, so... I know you're you're doing uh, you've got responsibilities with the boys, uh, which kept you home today. But not a bad day to uh, not have to drive around. I'll say that. Well, yeah, I looked outside. I, I was like, wow. You know, when I went to bed last night, uh, I didn't see any snow on the ground, and I wake up this morning like, what happened overnight? You know? Yeah, exactly. I didn't know it was coming. I typically park my car in the driveway, and but if I know snow's coming, I'll pull it into the garage. Uh-huh. Wish I uh, wish I had done that. That cost me a few minutes this morning, but it's all good. Got here. Got to say good morning to the captain, and uh, and here we are. Um, happy to chat with you for the next couple hours, Double T. Uh, lots of NBA nuggets for us to get to, and obviously plenty uh, of NFL conversation as well. We'll touch on the Gophers Hoops team as well, because a week ago today I was 
telling you they had no shot to beat Michigan. And uh, <laughs> clearly they surprised me and, and a lot of people. So we'll get to that as well. But let's start with the A topic this morning, and that is the Wolves' 18-point victory over LeBron James and the Lakers at Target Center last night. Um, I don't know how much you got to watch Double T. I, I'll say this. I I felt like the Lakers were not real excited to make a trip to Minneapolis uh, in mid-December. They didn't seem real interested. Uh, they got hammered on the boards. I mean, when you lose the rebounding battle to the Timberwolves, 61-36, to 36, that's effort. That's not talent because we know that's not you know the strength of this Timberwolves team. And they dominated the boards last night. Cat was brilliant early and, and basically just said, Anthony Davis, uh, not tonight, my friend. I'm the Kentucky Alpha on this night. So a, a nice win without Ant. Uh, they were missing some bit pieces too. But, you know, Double T, we talked about the uh, this tough schedule, and they went 0-5 in that first block. Now they're 3-0 and in their second block of five games. There you go. I mean, so now that, that allows you to keep the season in perspective. It also allows you to, you know, to keep your mind insane. I mean, not for not going insane, I should say. It's right. Insane because now you can, now you can break up the season. You know, five game losing streak. Say we can get the next five or get four out of the next five, and we find ourselves right back in the mix. And and so far over the last three games, you know, the Wolves have, you know, have played very well. And uh, Carl Anthony Towns got out to a very strong start last night when his team could not could not find the range from the outside. You know, that first uh, four, five, or six minutes of that first quarter is not fun basketball to watch. No, uh, neither team <laughs> neither team could shoot. I, I believe the final uh, stats for the first quarter combined, the two teams were one for 26 from three-point range in the first quarter. That's I took, I took a pause then and, 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 uh, and went to watch something else. Yeah, not, not a bad call. And it's weird because it just shows you, you know, how this game is just – you know, come and go, hit and miss. Previous game against Denver, the Wolves could not miss from three. They were 23 for 48. Uh, and I don't want to lose sight of that game just because it wasn't the most recent because, you know, they, they took care of Portland, which was really struggling in the middle of a seven-game losing streak. They did win last night to snap it. But then they go to Denver. And in both those places are places the Wolves traditionally really struggle, as you know, Double T. And they had lost 12 straight games to the Nuggets wherever they played. And they they were just dominant in that Denver game. I mean, it, it helps when you can't miss, and it was that kind of night. And, you know, Ant took over late and became the story with the 10 threes, youngest player to shoot and make 10 threes in the game. And and I don't know if you saw the company he joined being um, the seventh player to, to reach 1,000 points, in, no, 2,000 points in his first 100 games. Uh, okay. He joined a list with, like, I don't have it in front of me, but it's like Luka, LeBron, I mean, all Hall of Fame type players, except for maybe Zion, because we don't know what Zion's deal is. Um, but just a, a real statement game for Ant against Denver. And, you know, he got in the zone there late, double T. And, uh, man, that uh, that was fun to watch. That last three, he was one step inside the midcourt logo. You just know he was feeling it at that point. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, when, you, when you're a shooter and, and all of a sudden now you, you have the rhythm, the ball feels good in your hands, and every time you touch the ball, you just want to shoot it, and you know that it's going to go in. So it's always nice to find yourself in the zone whenever you can get there. When you beat a team like Denver that, you know, granted, they're they're down a couple guys in Jamal Murray and, and Michael Porter, and, and they're not at anywhere near full strike, but they're still a, you know, a very good team, um, expected to be a playoff team, and they were, I think, hovering around 500. But a team that's really owned you, 
uh, and you can make that kind of a statement against them. I just have to feel like with a young team still trying to find its way, that from a confidence standpoint has to take them a long way to sort of slay that dragon and say, all right, that's a team that's owned us. We took them down in their house. There's nothing we can't do, right? I mean, that from a you know, we forget how young these guys are. I was out a few days ago. I was talking to Spencer Tollickson about Eric Curry and the fact that he's older than half of the Wolves roster, you know? And um, it just reminds you how young this team is. Yeah, a couple couple vets, but a lot of really young guys that haven't tasted success. And and I have to think a win like that over Denver on the road can go a long way confidence-wise for this team. Well, it helps for sure. Uh, you know, the, the biggest concern with this team is their inconsistency with the emotional level. And also, you know, their ability, you know, to not only execute, you know, but to bring that energy every single night. You know, during that five-game losing streak, it was a team that had won some games before that, and they were playing at a very nice emotional level, and then they hit a dip. And I think for the rest of the season, with so many teams bunched up in the Western Conference, a good week here or there, all of a sudden now push you back into the playoff picture, a bad week takes you out of the playoff picture. And I think going forward for the rest of the year, the Wolves are going to have to find a way more time to not, you know, to allow their, their emotional level to dip. If they can stay consistency with their effort and energy and their emotional level from a mental standpoint in the right place, then they should be okay to make the playoffs. Yeah, I think things are looking good right now, obviously, as you say. There's so many you know, highs and lows we're going to go through. But right now, uh, they're on a nice path. I think they were ninth heading into last night and just uh, a game out of seventh. Uh, let's take a pause here, Double T. We're going to try to get you a better phone line or, or try to get a connection better because it's tough to 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 hear you, uh, maybe a different room in your house, something like that. Um, but we'll try to get that connection a little bit stronger. And we'll pause here and come back and uh, continue to talk about Wolves, NBA, lots of nuggets, not Denver, other kinds of NBA nuggets, uh, including Steph Curry winning, uh, passing, and uh, passing Ray Allen and taking over the three-point makes lead, um, certainly a – Statistic that means a lot to Double T because he's on that all-time list, although dropping a bit lower as, as we go along as I checked out where he falls. We'll talk about that. Uh, Kyrie Irving to return. Lots of NBA stuff and plenty of NFL to come as we get rolling. In- Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find Find your purpose at GCU. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. This is the fan. Back with you at 817. You're in the zone on the fan. Sinekin and Tucker with you until 10. Fantasy Football Weekly follows us at 10 a.m. today as they will help you get your playoff lineups ready in the face of a very difficult week to prognosticate who will be on the field and who won't. Uh, But they'll do their best to direct you at 10. Uh, 
Brett Blakemore, do we have Saturdays with Sauce? What's, what's up after the boys? Do you have that? Andy? I believe it's NFL just after that, straight into uh, NFL coverage. Well, there is no NFL coverage. There's or, no uh, there's no football till tonight. Uh, the 3.30 game got moved to Monday. I would guess it would head, because there was the wild game, and that's oh, now gone. Oh, so some kind of fun, syndicated sports program for your ears. Yep. Uh, we will have tonight's game, uh, Patriots-Colts, which should be a really interesting one, and we'll chat about that as we welcome back Double T and hope... We have a better line available. Double T, how you sounding? Can you hear me now? That is much better. Yes, okay, that is good. much better. Uh, so yeah. that, that was definitely worthwhile. Um, I, I want to talk about a few guys in particular after you know watching these three games this week and just kind of taking stock of where this team is. And we'll start with, with Cat Double T, who really uh, has come along after, I think, a slow start. He was just dominant last night with 23 in the first half and – you know, he gets up for certain matchups, and when he's up against Anthony Davis and the Lakers, it means something special. Uh, but he was the best player on the court last night. I'm not sure who was second. Um, to see him, the confidence, and then he talked about after the game, you know, I think the only person that can stop me is me, you know, my mind. Uh, you know, if I can get my mind straight, uh, I know everything else is going to come together. But watching him kind of take over on a night when he knew he kind of had to without Anthony Edwards out there, I thought was a really good sign of his development. Well, also, he stayed close to the basket. You know, I, he said that, you know, the three-point shot is not going well. But for for him to be very effective for this team, it's okay to step out and take a three here or there, but don't make a living out there. You know, use that big body. He's very crafty down low. He has some very good moves. He's talented. He's strong. He's a skilled player. You know, he can put the ball in the basket consistently, you know, when he, when he's able to operate in the painted area. And I think if he continues to stay in that, in that place more times than not, you know, for sure his confidence is going to grow and his team becomes a better team. I agree with you, but it feels like they still like that advantage he gives you with his three-point shooting and, and the rare ability he has as a seven-footer to knock it down. I don't think that part of his game is going away, but I'm, I am with you. Um, inside, he is so dominant, and, you know, he gets Davis in foul trouble, though Davis got hurt and, and had to leave the game, but he can get bigs in foul trouble. Um because of what he can do inside, and, and it opens things up. Um, but just, uh, I think, a nice sign of development, uh, how his game is moving along here as we get uh, into December. Uh, I want to also go with Jared Vanderbilt, who just continues to be an energizer bunny for this team. And last night had uh, 16 rebounds, double T, eight of them offensive rebounds. Uh, we talked about the rebounding edge, 61-36. And had or sorry, Vando had eight offensive <laughs> rebounds. Uh, the Lakers as a team had one offensive rebound last night. And again, that points to my comment earlier that I don't think they were that interested in playing. The Wolves came out playing much harder, much more aggressively, and the uh, the ESPN analysts you know, kept going over and over about how disruptive this team is and going after offensive rebounds and not just the big guys, but everybody. And when you're not a great rebounding team, you need everybody to chip in. And Vanderbilt... Double T. I don't know how many second chances he gave the Wolves last night. Um, we had 23 second chance points to just four for the Lakers. You know, he doesn't give you much offensively. We know that. They're not going to run plays for him. We know that. But, man, they are such a better team when he is on the court. And um, to see this young man at 22 do what he's doing night in, night out, uh, I, again, I think it makes everybody take notice on that team how hard he's working. He's a fun player to watch. Well, everyone has a role on the team, and, and as soon as players are able to identify, you know, how they can help the team with what the talent they bring to the team, 
all of a sudden now you you know you you can find some minutes for yourself and you know everyone who joins the team is not asked to be a scorer or a three point shooter but you need guys who can hustle and rebound and keep plays alive and also give you some second and third chances and trust me i know you watched the first half or well, the first quarter you know there was so many shots that was missed by both teams for sure, there was plenty of offensive rebounds opportunities for a lot of guys last night. And the Wolves were able to make enough hustle plays. And if you have guys who are willing to stick their nose in there, you know, dive on the floor for loose balls, hustle to that, that, that loose ball, win that 50-50 battle and give you those extra possessions when things are not going well, for you to start the game out on the offensive end, that's how you find your rhythm to finish off the game the right way. Another guy I want to talk about that is um... – been a favorite of mine, hasn't really found himself in the rotation much this year, but getting some run lately, and he's making the most of it. And every time I see him double T, I think he's earning minutes. And that's Jalen Noel, who last night uh, got 19 minutes off the bench, scored 14 points, uh, made two of his four threes. And I just don't know how you can't put him out there. We see Malik Beasley really continuing to struggle, uh, 7 for 18 last night. He did knock down a few threes, but he shot 13 of them and made three. Um, he still just doesn't look much like the player we saw second half of last season. That might still come, but I, I'm of the opinion that Jalen Noel needs to be in the rotation. He needs minutes. He's He is developing into a really nice player, particularly on the offensive side. And um, for a team that you know could use some punch off the bench, and Beasley's been hit or miss, I'm of the opinion he's earned minutes. He's earned a spot in that rotation. Uh, I don't know how much you've watched of Noel lately, but... Um, what do you think of his game and how he fits in this group? You know, uh, I haven't watched much of this game lately, so I'm going to have to rely on everything you just said. <laughs> well, he was a stud in summer league, and I know you can't put too much into that, but yeah, I, he, he I kind mean, of looked like a man among boys when he was playing in the summer league. Well, you know, every I guess, like I mentioned before, everyone has a role to play, and you know, and. So other people can look at it and say, hey, this guy deserves to play more. You know, he needs more minutes. He's playing this. He's doing that. This one guy hasn't found his rhythm offensively, and he's supposed to come in and provide that instant offense for us. You know, but if you're, if you're playing, if you're producing, if you're doing what you're supposed to do, you know, just stay within that role for right now. Make sure you're mentally locked in into the things that you have to do. And then when it's called upon you to to get more minutes, uh, the coaching coaching staff at some point in time will believe that hey, this is the guy we need to go with now at this time to give him more playing time. And then when that opportunity comes, you just you just stay ready. Uh, the one thing you have to to do as a role player is to make sure you do everything consistently on a daily basis to keep yourself ready when those opportunities come. Right, and, and the way things are going now, everything's changing day after day. You don't know who's going to be able to play, who right. isn't. So for a guy like Noel to be ready, step in last night and do what he did, i just love to see it, and uh, I hope he gets more run. I think he will. I mean, I, right, and, and sometimes, you know, when all of a sudden you give guys, you know, more minutes and more responsibilities, they don't respond to that. You know, he just might he just might be very comfortable and, and, and really effective in the time that he's playing right now. Because once you begin to extend those minutes, you know, you have to be on the floor a little bit longer, more responsibilities come into play. All of a sudden now the team may bring in their first line players and if you are not ready to step up and meet that challenge, you know, uh at, at that moment it, it, it could be a bad deal for you and your team. Yeah, I hear that. I just I look at this roster and how they struggle when Delo's off the court. 
Uh, you know, Jordan McLaughlin's a nice little player, but he's a third point guard. He's not a second point guard. And I'm not sure the Wolves really have, you know, they don't count Beverly who starts alongside D'Lo. They don't really have a, a good option. I'd like to see what Noel can do. He's not a prototypical point guard. You know, he's a score first kind of guy and, a, you know, is a terrific three point shooter at Washington. But man, it's a hole in the roster. See if Noel can fill it. Um, because when he's out there, good things happen. I, I just, uh, I think we're going to see more and more of him. I, I think, you know, Finch certainly likes him. He's had really nice comments about what he's brought to the team when he's had his opportunity. And, uh, he certainly had a chance last night and, and made the most of it. Um, so 14 and 15, three wins in a row. Now we get back to backers against the Mavericks. And I don't know that we're going to see Luca in either. I know he's going to miss the next game, which I think is Sunday. And they play again. I think it's here Sunday. And then they go to Dallas back to back. Um, but you know, you're not facing Luca. I'm guessing the Wolves probably won't have Ant, uh, at least for the first game. Um, suddenly double T this, this, you know, tough stretch in December that we looked at. There's light at the end of the tunnel. You know, we're halfway through. They're they're kind of spinning their wheels close to 500 this month and a couple winnable winnable games. I just, you know, we were so down a week ago, five losses in a row. You know, here we go again. And here we go. A week later, they've won three, including a couple big ones out west on the road. And now there's optimism again, at least for me and fans. My son was at the game last night uh, with his buddies, and he texted me uh, while I was sleeping just you know, it's the first time I've been proud to be a Wolves fan in a while, you know. And they're in arena probably with half Lakers fans, which always happens when LA comes to town. But that's the roller coaster ride you get when you're a Wolves fan. And a week later, we're feeling a little bit better uh, about where this team sits and how they're playing. And and um, you know, very curious to see how the rest of this month plays out. Well, that's why it's important to break up the season. You put them in those five game blocks, like like we talked about, and all of a sudden now you can you can keep your focus and your vision. And you don't lose sight on the season. And you know, for the Wolves, is they have like I mean, we mentioned probably two or three or four weeks ago. There's so many teams that are so close. You know, you're never out of it it's because the Western Conference is not like it used to be three or four years ago, where certain teams were just running hide away from you if you go on a four or five game losing streak. All those teams that that are right there at the top, you know, that might have a 600 record at this time, they are no longer playing at that pace. And so that's why it's important for the Wolves to to keep an eye on the people who are there right there in the mix with on a daily basis. You have to say if Denver is a game ahead of us or if the Lakers are half a game ahead of us, we have to watch what they're doing. If they lost last night, we have to bring it tonight because – when you're so close together like the Western Conference is at this stage, every game matters. Every game matters. You know, we've seen it. One bad week, you're in a temporary 11 spot. One good week, all of a sudden now you find yourself in a play-in type situation. You have the chance to knock off the Dallas Mavericks. So going forward, that's another team that's right there in the mix with you as well. So the Wolves are in a good situation. They have to make sure that they can maintain this stretch for the rest of the season and stay as consistently as they can with their mental approach. Uh, we'll pause here. We'll take a look at the Western Conference standings because, man, it's it's interesting. And there's one team that's red hot, and, and they're kind of the surprise story the last couple of weeks. We'll chat about that, where the Wolves sit uh, as we get a, close to Christmas here, uh, kind of the 
for a lot of people, Christmas Day is kind of opening day in the NBA as you start turning your attention away from football. Um, so we'll take a look at the Western standings. I'm going to touch on Steph Curry uh, claiming the three-point crown. We'll talk Kyrie, uh, Zion's injury. Uh, NBA conversation continues in our next segment before we turn the page to the NFL. Hang with us. We're back right after these. On the fan. We are back, 8.37 on a Saturday morning. You're in the zone. Double T from his home today. I am in studio in St. Louis Park, and we are with you until 10 o'clock. As usual, Fantasy Football Weekly will follow us today. All right, Double T took a quick peek at the Western Conference standings, and you got three teams that have kind of separated a bit in the Warriors, Suns, and Jazz. Then come the Grizzlies at the number four spot at 19 and 11, and they have won nine of their last ten games, doing it all without John Moran. They're kind of the quiet story right now, I think, in the Western Conference. As you look at the teams and you know where you expected teams to be, I don't think too many folks expected the Grizz to be 19 and 11, especially without John Moran. So uh, top four right now, Warriors, Suns, Jazz, and Grizz. And you know, for me, you know, Tyus Jones getting some nice run there. Uh, that's a nice story, and you know it's in Memphis, and no one's really paying attention. But um, they're making a statement here right now at nineteen and eleven. It's just showing you that how good of a basketball team they are, and for sure, you know they need Morant, especially come playoff time, because when you have a talent like that, you like to have him in the lineup because you know there are so many wonderful things he can do. Mm-hmm. But when you lose a star player, sometimes you become a different team. And I was lucky enough to experience that in my first year in the league. And it just shows you, you know, that, you know, that the Grizzlies, they do have some very good basketball players and the coaching staff, you know, has found the right mix to include those guys uh, as a group so that, so that they can move in the right direction. Yeah. And they're taking advantage of a Western conference. It's got a lot of teams just kind of playing a neutral right now, because after them, the Clippers are three games over 500 in the five spot Lakers, are 16 and 14 now after the loss last night here, and they're in sixth. Denver's one game over 500 at seven. The Mavs are at 500, and the Wolves are one game under in the nine spot. And then after the Wolves, it's Sacramento at 12 and 18. So there's a bit of a drop. The Wolves have kind of put themselves into a, a spot where they're they're not among that bottom six in the West that are really struggling. And obviously, Thunder, Rockets, uh, Pelicans, despite their win over the Bucks last night, are all um also rans and not in the mix. So um as you said, they're they're, you know, one and a half games out of the sixth spot in the West right now. And, you know, barring injury, you know, th- it feels like they are going to be in the mix for that seven, eight, nine, ten spot. You know, I, I don't see the bottom dropping out barring injuries. They they they're competitive. Um they know how to get through rough patches. Uh we know there are things to fix. We know they can get better. But I saw the stat, I forget who shared it with me, I think Britt Robson did the other day, that when the five starters are on the court, they've only played together like 100 minutes all season. Um, but they're a plus 50. It's by far the most efficient and successful five-man lineup in the NBA this season. It's not close. 
And so, you know, it was nice to see them all play together. It seems like somebody's always out. Um, but credit to them that they're able to hang in there when they're missing. Well, when Delo was out, they didn't do so well. But obviously last night, winning without Ant, um, they got something going here with those five guys. And, you know, we talk about maybe they got to bring in a big guy to go next to Cat, and we'll see if they are going to explore the trade market. Because I think in a perfect world, you know, Vando comes off the bench and, and is not a starter for a, you know, a playoff caliber team. He might prove me wrong, but I'd love to have a guy that can give you a little more offense too if you're counting on him for starters minutes. But just um, your thoughts on where the Wolves are in the hierarchy, um, kind of hovering around 500 right now, which is, you know, what we all hoped. I think we all thought 36, 37, 38 wins should be enough to get you in the play-in, and, and right now they're trending that way. Well, like I said, there are a bunch of teams right there in the Western Conference, you know, and they are one of those teams that are very close to either going from, from nine to to six or, you know, they can slip, you know, with a bad week from nine to 11. And the whole thing for for this team, from my standpoint, is that their mental approach. They can't have those ebbs and flows, you know, where they have, you know, five to ten days where they're not engaged. And we've seen them not be engaged, you know, five games before this three-game winning streak. And so if they can – find a consistency level with their mental approach and stand engaged on a nightly basis, yeah, this team has uh, a chance to make the playoffs for sure. But the key for me is is Carl Anthony Towns. You know, I, I know that many people are saying, well, they need to bring in a big guy to go alongside of him. No. You know, do what he did last night. Stay in the paint. Make the game simple. Make the game easy for himself. Yeah, step out and take a three-point shot here or there. You know, but your bread and butter for this team to be consistent is not to be a long-range three-point shooter on a nightly basis. Get yourself down low. Do the things that you can do because you're a very, very talented low-post player. And when you are operating down low like you did last night, the Wolves are a much more better team. No question. Uh, Last thing on the Wolves, uh, interesting comments from Jalen Noel last night talking about his head coach. Um, And I read, his. he said, you know, Finch knows that, you talk to Cat differently than you talk to me, than you talk to Malik. Than like he knows how to, you know, talk to each player and push the right buttons. And I think that's the mark of a of a good head coach. And I think that the players understand that, and certainly that Chris Finch understands that. Uh, I think it's a good sign for where this team's going. Cat said it's the most fun he's having since his rookie year. They seem to get that chemistry thing going, and that's obviously a huge component to be successful in the NBA. But I just think the awareness of a young player to say, yeah, the coach knows you know, how to talk to each of us differently. They don't treat us all the same. We're all different people. And I think that's just a credit to to the head coach who, you know, I'm a fan of. I think he's going to get this thing turned around and he's getting buy-in from the players. And that goes a long way. Well, everything is is much funnier when you're winning, when you're around 500. Mm -hmm. When you're playing 300 basketball, then every day going to practice seems like work. And the Wolves have, have found some, some fun this year because they have shown that they can win games. And now you're in a three-game winning streak. And all of a sudden, you're right back in the mix. You knock off the Lakers last night. You're in the ninth spot. You know that there's still a ton of games uh, left to be played. And you are right in the mix of everything. You know, that's that's when the season becomes fun. Let's switch gears. The news broke yesterday, Double T, that um, it appears the Nets will welcome back Kyrie Irving to play games outside of New York City. He's unvaccinated, as we know, and uh, not allowed to play in New York City. So uh, in light of 
the COVID issues on that team, the injuries they're dealing with, and the heavy minutes that Durant and Harden are being forced to play, they've decided to kind of swallow hard and welcome him back to play road games, which, you know, as an unvaccinated player right now, to be out and about uh, and traveling with the team when there's COVID outbreaks everywhere, we'll see how long Kyrie can last. But what are your thoughts on pretty much an unprecedented situation where a team will welcome a player back for its road games? How does that work? How You know, you got him one night, you don't have him the next. How does a team, do you think, uh, handle that kind of situation with a talent like Kyrie? Well, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they, they find a way to fit him in, but it just shows you how important winning is mm-hmm. and what it means to certain teams and certain people. And the Nets feel like, the, hey, you know, before the season began, we, you know, we have a championship-type team. We lost our player because he was unvaccinated, and we have still been able to, to stay at the top of the Eastern Conference, but now losing so many players either to COVID, the COVID protocol or injury, we feel like now is the right time maybe to see if we can bring him back on part-time. But it just shows you how important winning is to them. You know, they're willing to, to swallow, you know, some of their pride of what they, of the decision they made at the beginning of the season to bring back Kyrie Irving to see if he can help them win basketball games. Is it tricky, though, for a team to know it's you got a guy tricky. one night, you don't have him the next night? Yeah, it's very tricky. I would very think tricky because because for one, you don't know what type of shape he's in, mm-hmm. and you don't know exactly if if he's been doing anything from a cardio standpoint, physical standpoint. Has he been working on his game? So it's very very tricky because all of a sudden now you can you can you're really going to dis- disrupt the flow of your team because one night he's going to be there. How, how many minutes will he play? How many shots will he take? How much involved will he be? in the scheme of things that you like to do on the offensive end and defensive end. And if he becomes a guy that plays 35 or 38 minutes when he's on the road, all of a sudden now you go home, you have to find someone to fill those minutes as well. So it's, it's, it's going to be a very, very tricky situation for the Nets going forward. Yeah, no doubt. Be very interesting to see how that all works out. Um, earlier this week, Steph Curry became the three-point king, passing Ray Allen. We knew that was just a matter of time. And, you know, Steph's got a lot of years left, and I this might become one of those unbreakable records, you know, don't you think, Double T, that he's going to put so much distance between himself and Ray Allen and anybody who comes next. Uh, this might be one of those records that in our lifetime we don't see broken. I know that's crazy. A great shooter could come along at any time, but, man, the longevity, the volume, uh, 2,977 threes, and shooting them at a 43% clip. Um, you know, we've talked for years about the greatness of of Steph and and that shot. And for you, a guy that made his living uh, with long-distance shooting, I know how much you appreciate what he's done. But, you know, where do you look at him historically? And do you think there's a chance with the five, six, however many years he has left that this becomes one of those, like, Cy Young's 511 wins? Just one of those records you look at and say, forget about it. No one's going there. It all depends on how much emphasis you put on the three-point shooting. I mean, the game now is a... is a three-point shooting game. But what did you rank three-point shooting against some of the other great milestones that professional sports have been able to produce? I mean, is it up there? I mean, what do you rank it at? I mean, how do you rank this, you know, among the, some of the great achievements of so many other great players? But, you know, the way he shoots the basketball, you know, it's a great achievement for him for sure, you know, to pass guys like Reggie Miller and, and, and Ray Allen going forward. 
you know, but the game is tailor-made for what he does. And he is a, he's a fantastic, you know, uh, shooter from the outside. I think the one thing that is so great about what Steph Curry has been able to do is that he does it differently than, than most, of, most of the other guys who came before him. A lot of three-point shooters were catch-and-shoot guys. They were spot-up guys. He's the, he's the guy that does it off the dribble. Now, his teammate, Clay Thompson, is a fantastic three-point shooter, but he doesn't do it like Steph Curry. And I think what, what distincts him or uh, removes him from so many other people in terms of his three-point shot is how he consistently shoots that three-point shot off the dribble. It's a great point. And if, if you watch how much running he does on, on offensive sets to get himself open, um, he moves around like very few to get that shot off. And um, that's a credit, I think, to him. I mean, the cardio shape he must be in because he runs around, you know, unlike a guy like Clay, like you say, where you just, you know, give him the ball, he's going to knock it down. Uh, and hopefully we'll see Clay back in the next four weeks. Um, I looked at the list, Double T, and when I saw, you know, Steph on top, I thought, I wonder where, where Double T is on the uh, three-point shooting all-time list. I'm guessing Thanks. I'm guessing when you retired, you know, because it was still fairly new in the NBA. I was in the top five. You were in the top five when you retired? Yep. Okay. Do you have any idea where you rank today? I have no idea. Um, I was a little surprised. Well, I, I shouldn't be surprised. A, you've been out of the league for 30 years. And, and B, right. as, as you said, <laughs> well, not quite 30, but we're getting close. Um, obviously, three-point shooting is a whole different deal than it was when you played, and, and everybody does it. Uh, so I kept scrolling through pages. There were 50 players on a page. And I'm scrolling. I thought you'd be somewhere like 150 to 200. That was my thought. Uh, but as of yesterday, you were tied on the all-time three-point shooting list at number 307. Um, you were tied with Stevie Franchise, Steve Francis, uh, mm-hmm. Dion Waiters, and Steve Novak. Uh, all made 575 threes like you. Uh, right. you. You may or may not remember that you shot 40.8% from three-point range, which is fantastic. Um, I looked at it like a 40-point and above club. Um, I found some interesting stuff here. So Steph Shottam is shooting at uh, 43% for his career. Ray Allen was 40. Um, the next guy really high on the list to be close to Steph, Kyle Korver shot at 42.9%. Uh, Clay, 41.9%. Um, so you look at you know the guys that were able to knock him down at that percentage. There are, among the top... 100 to 200, there are one, two, three guys that shoot shoot or shot threes better at a better clip than Steph percentage-wise. Um, one of them played in your era and is still active in the NBA. Steve Kerr. Correct. Kerr has the highest three-point percentage among those you know, in the, you know, whatever, top 400. Uh, Kerr shot them at 45.4%. That is, that's remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, so it just shows you that guys during our time were really good three-point shooters. The difference is that we just didn't take them in volume. So just imagine if I, just imagine if I played 11 years, okay, or 10 years, let's say 12 years, and I averaged 10 three-point shots a night. You're going to knock and down made, four of them. And, and, and I made 40% of them. I, I, probably, made, I probably made close to over 3,000 over three point shots. Exactly. So, so, that, 
So the, the volume of three-point shots they take, Steph Curry may take 19 three-point shots in the game. It took me four months to take 19 three-point <laughs> shots. Okay? Right. So, but it just shows you that the difference in today and how we look at the three-point shot, the three-point shot is, is so is so valuable to what a lot of teams do on the offensive end. Every night the Steph Curry comes out, he knows that he's going to shoot anywhere between five and ten three-point shots. When we came out to play, if I took one three-point shot a night, that was a lot. That was a lot. I remember I, I looked at a stat. When some guy sent me a stat one day of a game we played against the 76ers back in 83, 84, something like that. We took one three-point shot in the game against the 76ers, scored 100 and some points. <laughs> and he said, well, Trent, I know you were the only guy that took a three-point shot. I didn't take a three-point shot at all. And a guy named Rory Sparrow, who was a nine-three-point shooter, was the guy that took a three-point shot because the shot clock was running down. <laughs> but what Steph has been able to do is fantastic, and the way that he does it out to dribble, I don't think anyone, like you said, in our lifetime would be able to duplicate that. There could be some kid right now who is two years old, three years old, may come along one day and break that record. You know, but his energy, his effort, his conditioning, the way he prepares himself on a on a on a nightly basis to do the things that, that he has been able to do has been fantastic to watch. And not only that, as I looked at this list, his brother Seth, who's ranks two hundred and sixty sixth in threes, actually shoots them at a higher clip percentage wise than Steph. Seth is at 43.9% to Steph's 43%. That's unbelievable, isn't it? Right. And, and, and as you look at, at some of the guys who, as we got toward the end of our careers, you know, we may have had a higher three-point shooting percentage, percentage before we got to the end. You know, we didn't play a whole lot during that time. So if you go like, you know, 0 for 3 or 0 for 4, but you may not – have a lot of opportunities, you know, to shoot three-point shots. They can drop your percentage as you get as you get toward the end of your career because the opportunities are not here, you know. But there was one year where I don't know, it was eighty-five or something, maybe I don't know. Me and Craig Hodges went down to the last game of the season for the three-point title during the regular season, and he beat me. I think it was forty-five oh nine to forty-five oh eight, and I can remember. Going into the Mecca, I had a a a, a two a two shot lead on him. Okay? Yep. And, and Don Nelson knew that. And Don Nelson wanted Craig Hodges to win the three point shooting title and Huey Brown could care less whether I won or not. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> and what Don Nelson did, the first as soon as the game started, he ran he ran a, he ran two plays for Craig Hodges to get three point shots. And he got open, he knocked him down, and he got that tenth of a percentage point ahead of me, and Don Nelson defended me the whole game as a, if, if, as if I was Larry Bird. Double T, I was at that game. I absolutely remember that game because I was pulling hard for Craig Hodges to win that, uh, you know, a little statistical thing, no big deal, but that's right. as big of a but Bucks it, it fan was, as I was. Point title. You know, yeah. who knows the time? It could have been a clause in my contract whether if I win the three-point Shoot entire during the regular season, you might get an extra fifty grand or something. Or and Hubie couldn't care less about contract. that. It, it could have been something like that as well. Right. But Don Nelson was very aware of what he wanted Craig Hodges to to achieve, and Hubie Brown could care less 
about what I was doing. Yeah, <laughs> Nelly, Nelly was a player's coach. Hubie, maybe not so much, right? Right. You know, and we weren't playing well. We had lost all our best players, and and he felt like that. You know, he was on the hot seat of losing his job, and and to him at that time, the three point, you know, regular season title didn't mean anything to him, but for Don Nelson, it did. Oh, man, unbelievable. Well, you were in the running. You gave it a good fight for sure. Uh, you just needed a different coach to get you over the top. Um, well, you know, it's like I say, to still be among the top 400 after the day basketball for such a long time, you know, how the three-point shot has has, yeah. has come along as of late, you, you know. Um, we'll take that. It's, 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 it's a good deal. But, no, you know, there are a lot of guys who are taking three-point shots, and some of those guys on their list that you just mentioned, those guys can really shoot the basketball as well. I was, we'll close with this. I was really shocked to see that uh, North Carolina coach Hubert Davis um, is second in percentage at 44.1%. I I just don't remember him being that much of a, a laser shooter at, to be number two all-time percentage-wise. Uh, well, well, yeah, Hubert Davis could shoot the ball. He, you know, he didn't take him. You know, Steph takes – I mean, Steph will take a – he could take 300 three-point shots and almost like in 20 games it seems like, you know? I know but yeah. I was having this conversation with, with, with Common the other day when I was on with his show. Mystery and, guest. Yeah, mystery guest. And many people look at the Golden State Warriors and say that they are the ones that kind of really introduce the three-point shot to the game. But if you go back to the mid-'80s, the guy who really brought the three-point shot to the game at this at you know at the pace is going now, not – not that we took as many as, as, as some of the teams are taking today, but Rick Pitino, when he went to New York Knicks, he was the guy that introduced the fast-paced game, the pressing and trapping, and the three-point shooting. No doubt. He was a pioneer for sure. Yep. Um, all right, we're late for a break. We'll take it here. We'll come back. I do have a couple more. I want to talk about Zion briefly and the Gopher basketball squad, and then we'll turn our attention to the National Football League as Week 15 kicks off tonight with a big one in Indy between the Patriots and Colts. Of course, the Vikes play Monday night in Chicago. So lots of NFL conversation coming up in hour number two. Please hang with us. Fan. back 903 hour number two in the zone Senekin and tucker with you as usual a program note a week from today is christmas day um we've been asked to stay home on christmas day no show next saturday let the record show it's packers game day i would have been all ready but i understand nobody wants to work on christmas so we are off next week and we'll be back i assume on new year's day it's another holiday but uh, i presume we'll be back two weeks from today uh, Packer preview will be back. Uh, we'll be there next Sunday. Uh, it'll be a Packer review edition as Packers and Browns are scheduled to play on Christmas Day. As we know, schedules are fluid, double T, uh, in all sports right now as um, the Omicron variant is wreaking havoc across the world and sports obviously getting hit hard. The wild game today against the Panthers postponed uh, due to COVID issues with the Panthers organization. Uh, so everything's fluid. I saw a stat or a tweet uh, during the break that over the next 10 days, the only days we will not have NFL football are Wednesday and Friday. We have games 
today, tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and then Christmas Day and Sunday. So um, for those of us that have spouses that aren't real NFL fans, not the greatest news that they've spread these games out to virtually every day over the next week because I'm a rube. I'll be watching all of them. That's what I do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for like you said, for sports fans, it's, um, it's going to be a great week of football for them for sure. Uh, we'll get into the NFL in just a bit. I have a couple more nuggets. We didn't touch on Zion Williamson. The news on him broke a couple days ago. Of course, he's not played yet this season with a foot injury, and um, it was reported just a couple days ago that he had an injection this week in that right foot to try to stimulate healing in the bone and is out another four to six weeks. So it's it's quickly starting to look like a lost season for Zion and um, for this rare talent who you know has a body that's you know takes a pounding on the hardwood. How concerned are you about the long term availability of Zion Williamson, who you know is trending to be one of those all time type players when he's on the court? He's such a different uh, body type and such a different unique talent. Um, but maybe a lost season here, and when it's a foot and you got all that weight. On that size, that's obviously a big concern. Well, not only you just only concerned about a lost season, you wonder if this is going to be a lost career. And you know, you've seen so many, so many talented players, you know, lose their careers to foot injuries. You know, Bill Walton comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, Yao Ming is another guy that comes to mind. You know, Greg Oden couldn't stay healthy when he left Ohio State. You know, Sam Bowie comes out of Kentucky, and, I, and a lot of people talk about. You know, he was, you know, Portland should have taken Michael Jordan instead of Sam Boyd. Sam Boyd was the right fit for the Portland Trailblazers. The reason he didn't have a, a stellar career is because he couldn't stay healthy. So you get concerned when you see a young talent who's not able to stay on the floor be, because because of health. That's a major concern. It is, and also a concern. I've read reports where, you know, he's missed workouts, he's missed rehab, he falls asleep during meetings. So I think there's a maturity factor as well that needs to be worked out uh, for Zion Williamson because the talent's unquestionable. We've seen it when he plays, but I think it's more than just the foot. So it's something to to watch. And I think, obviously, we all hope this kid gets healthy and has a great career because when he's out there, you know, he's one of those guys that's just a different cat that just just looks different and plays differently um, with that bounce despite this, the size and the bulk, the way he can move on the court. I, I think we all hope that uh, he'll be able to get out there, whether it's this season or beyond. Oh, for sure, because right now this, the, the major thing that's keeping him away from doing what he loves to do is is because he can't stay healthy. And all of a sudden now they're starting to shoot injections into the foot to, to get the, to see if they can speed up the healing process. They may just have to just take their time and not try to rush him back. Uh, I know they want to get him on the floor as quickly as they can, you know, but when you're talking about dealing with legs and ankles and, and feet, you have to give guys with with that that body type time enough to heal. Because if you're rushing back, and all of a sudden now you know he re-injures that foot, it's going to be a little bit longer now before he can come back. And the major concern for me right now is just not the loss of the season. You know, will will he have you know these types of troubles throughout the rest of his career? Right, and what is his future? Right, because they they brought in Stan Van Gundy last year that didn't work, so they got rid of him. Um, there's reports he's not real happy with the team that they're building around him. You know, the big deal that sent Anthony Davis to the Lakers, brought in Ingram and Ball and, and all those guys, and it's just it's been kind of a disaster down in New Orleans. And this year is sort of a lost season, not just for him, but 
the team's not really going anywhere either. So, you know, they have to make a decision about, you know, will he resign? Will he not? Uh, if he doesn't, can you trade him uh, with the injury concerns? So it just doesn't feel like it's going to end well for Zion in New Orleans at this point. Well, you know, you, you're hoping, you know, that he can get back on the floor at some point in time. You know, mm-hmm. when you bring in the wrong people to run your team or to coach your team, you know, this is what you get. I, you know, I have no idea why they brought in Stan Van Gundy. I have no idea. <laughs> you know, maybe it was a relationship thing between he and the GM or whatever, but, you know, he wasn't he wasn't the right guy for the Detroit Pistons. So how could all of a sudden now he'd be the right person for uh, another team? But, you know, you have to make sure that when you're hiring people, you know, to run your organization, is that you have to bring in hopefully the right people that can do a good job for the players who are there. They can evaluate the talent and put a system in place where these players can flourish. And a lot of coaches come in, you know, with their philosophy that we want to play this way because this is the only way that I know how to teach. To me, that's not a that's not a great sign of a great coach. You know, great coaches are, are guys who are able to implement some of the things they want to do, but also make sure that they fit the system around the talent that they're coaching. Yeah, you think back to all the excitement when uh, New Orleans won the, the lottery to drive Zion and where we are a few years later. Um, it has not had a happy ending, that's for sure. All right, let's switch over to the Gophers double team. Talked about it uh, a bit earlier. They went to Michigan a week ago today uh, against a Wolverines team that uh, started the season ranked sixth in the country but was off to a 6-3 and three start. Their three losses, though, were to good teams, to Arizona, Seton Hall, North Carolina. So I, I thought, you know, they're home. And that's Sky Uma. Here comes Sky Uma <laughs> coming to Michigan and dominating. I, they won by 10, you know, it it felt like they were in control, I felt, from start to finish. And, you know, it's really remarkable, I think, what, what Ben Johnson and his staff is doing with this roster, which is really just about seven players deep. And we talked about, you know, you hope these guys can stay healthy. It's a, a grind once you get into the Big Ten with physical games night after night, and that might catch up with them. But for what for right now, when we see what Jamison Battle and, and Peyton Willis and Eric Curry and company are doing with this opportunity – they're playing defense, they're playing hard, uh, they're scrapping, and, and they're out hustling teams. And they become a really fun watch as we get set for the Big Ten season to really roll here in a couple weeks. Uh, you got to be proud right now of Scott Uma and the way they're playing. Oh, yeah, it's fun for all Gopher fans to see because they're playing team basketball. You know, they're just not relying on one guy to, to carry, carry the load every single night. Uh, no one is trying to play hero basketball. You need your better players to step up and be consistently good on a nightly basis for sure. Uh, the role players who are coming in off the bench, even though the bench is very short, those guys are doing a good job. But collectively, you know, as a team, they're doing a fantastic job on the defensive end. Yeah, and to go into Chrysler and to play that team, which I think will be better as the season goes on. they got two freshmen that were huge recruits that I'm sure will be better. Uh, but to go into there, again, we talked about confidence earlier with the Wolves team. Uh, you have to know that this young Gophers team with such low expectations outside of the building had to gain just an immeasurable, immeasurable amount of confidence going on the road in the Big Ten, a place they were 13.5-point underdogs in that game, and just controlled it from start to finish. A good, you know, I don't know if they're Final Four caliber, but a Sweet 16 caliber Michigan team that, you know, features a seven-footer in 
Hunter Dickinson, that could have turned pro last year, and they don't really have anything for him. But they were able to control him, control that team, and just, I think, serve notice. I think they served notice a bit against Michigan State when they fell behind big time at home and fought back and made it a uh, what a seven- or eight-point game and, and didn't give up. Uh, I think that's the the personality that Ben Johnson is is putting on this team, that they are going to fight. They might know they're undermanned, uh, but they are going to fight for 40 minutes. And even if they're down, you cannot count them out. Suddenly, you know, I find myself checking out the schedule. Oh, Green Bay on Wednesday? I'll watch and see, you know, how they come back and get set for the Big Ten season. It's just a, a nice story starting to brew there in uh, Dinkytown. Well, you know, this is where, you know, Ben Johnson is going to really earn his money over the next two games is making sure he can keep his team you know, mentally under control and, and and handle this prosperity that you know that they are living with at this stage. You know, they're supposed to they're supposed to win these nine conference games. Uh, this week of practice is is going to be important. Is to make sure that these players understand is that not to get too far ahead. Don't think that we are you know we are better than we really are. Don't begin to overlook opponents. We just can't show up and win. We are not that type of team. And so from a mental standpoint, I think for him and his coaching staff, this will, this will be a challenging time for over the next two games to make sure that his players are on the right track mentally. Yeah, T, I think that's a great point. And I think we saw it from the game this week when they had to come back from Michigan and play a hyphen team, right? Uh, Texas A&M-Corpus Christi. And they had a 26-point lead, the Gophers did. And it ended up being like a seven or eight point game. Now that's not mm-hmm. a terrible team. That's a a team that's expected to compete in the Southland Conference. But you know they're not a, a power conference team. They come in here off the Michigan game, and yeah, maybe the the Gophers were tempted to take them a bit lightly. They got a huge lead, took the foot off the gas. Corpus Christi fights back, makes it a seven or eight point game. I think that was maybe just what the doctor ordered to just remind these guys. Yeah, it's forty minutes. You know, you, you might be up twenty five thirty, but everybody's good enough on your on your schedule to to fight back from that kind of deficit. So I think that was the first test. And Green Bay is coming up next, um, but I think they they passed that test and, and they 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 held on for dear life. But uh, they held on, and I think that says a lot but, where this team is. Yeah, holding on is yeah, it's right. But let's don't forget how we got to where we are. You know, we we plan well as a team collectively. The only way that we're going to stay on this track is by doing it as a team. No one should step out of the system here and, and try to become and do more than they, they're asked to do. We don't need hero basketball. What has made us the team that we are today? We hustle. We play hard. We bring great energy. We have a great focus. We know that any given time uh, we can lose a basketball game. So if we're able to maintain and keep our focus and energy – on the little things that we have to do in practice that's going to lead to good play at game time, then things should be okay. Wednesday night, Green Bay comes to town. Um, and no, I will not be wearing green and gold pom-poms. Uh, Sky, you mile. Let's take down Green Bay Wednesday night. We'll pause here, Double T. We'll come back, talk NFL. Bears, Vikings, Monday night football uh, as the Vikes look to scrap their way into the uh, wild card mix. Uh, we'll chat all about Week 15 when we come back. iHeartRadio app. mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a... 
greasy black peel You're a monster, Mr. Grinch Your heart's an empty hole Alright, we are back. It was uh, 55 years ago today. The Grinch debuted on CBS. The Grinch stole Christmas double T when I was a kid. That was appointment viewing. We, uh, you know, it was on prime time, like a Friday or Saturday night. Were you a Grinch guy when you were a kid? Did you watch The Grinch? I can't recall. Oh, come on. Really? Max the dog wearing the antlers? You didn't watch that when you were a kid? I probably watched Frosty the Snowman, you know? Yeah, that's kid stuff. Come on, man. <laughs> you said when I was a kid, right? I did. I, I did. watch it. I did. I'm going to watch the Grinch of Christmas. If I would stumble upon I'm, the I'm Grinch. I'm going to watch something Jolly and Holly on, at, at that time of the season. I, right? I suppose. I, sure. I To this day, if I stumble upon the Grinch, I'll, I'll watch for a while. It just takes me back to my youth for sure. Um, all right, let's talk NFL. Week 15, uh, scrambled by COVID, as we know. There are now uh, two games Monday night. The Vikings-Bears will be the nightcap. Uh, Cleveland um, no, Raiders. Raiders-Cleveland will be the uh, first game. Uh, two games moved to Tuesday uh, because of issues uh, with the Rams and the Washington football team. So this might be what we're dealing with now for the rest of the season, Double T, and certainly there is no doubt that come playoff time, this might be a real factor for teams losing key players because these games are, are more important as each week goes by for those teams that are looking to secure not just playoff spots but playoff positioning. A team like Baltimore, which is a, you know leading the AFC North right now, but they're just a game and a half out of last place in their division, and they likely won't have Lamar Jackson against the Packers tomorrow. Hasn't practiced all week, was carted off. They have not ruled him out. But obviously, that's an entirely different team when Lamar is not on the field. Oh, we, sure. we can see that so easily happen come playoff time, right? I just we have no idea what we're in for. I think this week has kind of opened up all of our eyes that uh, what's going on right now with this variant uh, is going to be a big time disruptor when it comes to pro sports. And you know, you're just going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to hope your team gets a bit lucky uh, that the the players and coaches do all they can to protect themselves as much as possible. Uh, we do know the NFL has changed some of the protocols so that will allow players yeah, to come back with, more what quickly. What happened with that? You know, I thought they said the game's going to tell you four fifty game. Yeah, well, I think they just realized, you know, I, I, and I think it's a. I, I'm not going to slam them for this double T because we're all kind of figuring out how best to manage this. I I don't slam them for changing some of the rules as they realize, you know, if players are vaccinated and they're asymptomatic. Why keep them out for ten days? You know, they're they're trying to manage this the best as possible, and it's it's tricky for sure. Um, but they're doing their best not to forfeit games at all, if at all possible. And I think everybody's on board with that. I feel bad for a team like the Raiders that were literally supposed to be on their bus yesterday to go to the airport to go to Cleveland, and they were told to stand down. Uh, there might be news of us of the game being moved, and uh, for a team like that, that was you know all set to go, packed up. And now has to wait a couple more days. That's maybe not the fairest, but you know, unfortunately, that's the world we're in right now. Yeah, uh, I think you know, you know, the, the NFL came out with a hard statement saying that hey, you know, you know, teams are not able to play on the forfeit situations here and there. But you know, there's too much at stake, not only for for the teams playing games, but from a monetary standpoint as well. And you don't want to disappoint the fans, so that's why. 
the NFL had to change some of their some of their protocol to make sure that they get these games in. And it's important, you know, for for these teams to have an opportunity to play. Like you just mentioned, there's so much at stake at this time of the season on where you're going to fit in as a playoff team. Are you good enough to have a chance to win a championship? And and you don't want, you know, what the NFL had in place at the beginning of the season be the reason why you not make the playoffs. No doubt. And the forfeit threat was really in large part for, you know, there's an outbreak of unvaccinated players. And I think the lion's share of these positive cases now are with vaccinated uh, players who are, you know, testing positive And for the most part, symptoms are mild, um, but they are testing positive. And so... Uh, right, and they, and they can't play. So if if the NFL if the NFL stuck to its original statements, then they these you know these teams would have to forfeit games. If they were unvaccinated, though, that was the deal. Only unvaccinated. Yeah. And well, they, it should be, it should have been unvaccinated or vaccinated because if you don't have enough people to play, whether you're unvaccinated or vaccinated, it, it doesn't matter. You just don't have enough guys to play. You can't fill out. You can't fill out a team, and based on what they were saying, I, I think they, can't, they 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 should have corrected themselves at the beginning of the year. Maybe they didn't know that so many vaccinated players, you know, would come up, you know, with with COVID nineteen down the road, you know. But I think at the beginning of the year, you know, they didn't put out the right statement, you know, you know, for all the teams to to abide by. Yeah, that's probably fair. Uh, we are where we are, and games are going to be moved. They're going to do their best to not cancel games, as we talked about. Um, but it does put uh, some teams at competitive disadvantages scheduling-wise. You look at the um, the Rams, for example, who had, I think, 25 players on the list this week. They moved their game to Tuesday, and then they're going to have to turn around and come up here next that following Sunday on four days rest and um, and play the Vikings, who will be much more rested. Packers get a similar break with Cleveland, who will now play Monday and then have to turn around and play Saturday, Christmas Day in Green Bay uh, with four days rest. So, you know, unfortunately so for those teams. So not going to play, so that, so that should help, right? Well, I don't think he'll play this week, but I, I right. assume. So, so he'll be resting with rest the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, I think he'll be ready for Christmas. And maybe maybe by Monday, Baker is okay to go. They they lost um, Case Keenum, his backup one on the well, list, yeah. yesterday too. So they were looking to sign a guy off the street to start against the Raiders today. And, I mean, just from a competitive standpoint, that's just not. They called John Kidna. <laughs> <laughs> Your guy Kidna might get the call. He's uh, he's raising he up the list. Ready to go, right? No doubt. Uh, your, your Vikings are heading to Chicago to play a, a Bears team that was, you know, pretty plucky against my team on uh, on a Sunday night, um, had the 10-point lead. Um, and then it was a six-point lead at halftime, and, and we all know that the second half reality returned. But uh, the Bears showed some life. Uh, the Packers' special teams were an abject disaster, and that's my biggest concern tomorrow. The number one special teams team against the number 32 special teams team could flip a game very easily with or without Lamar Jackson. But from a Bears standpoint, now they come home after an emotional game against their biggest rival to now play their second biggest rival and um, and the Vikes are rested with the uh, Thursday night game, 10 days rest. Uh, doesn't sound like Thielen plays. He has not practiced, but Kendricks did return to practice yesterday. That's obviously huge against a Bears team that wants to run the football. Um, I, I know it's been a house of horrors for the Vikes over the years, but I don't I don't see how the Vikings drop this opportunity. I know it's prime time. We know Kirk doesn't love playing when it's bedtime, but uh, how concerned are you, scale of 1 to 10, uh, you feel good about your squad heading into this one? I'm very concerned for the rest of the season. Are you? Because because I was concerned about the Lions. 
And going forward with all the things you talked about, Adam Stevens not going to play. We know we're getting some guys coming back, you know, from COVID protocol, you know, but if you are a Vikings fan right now, until the season is over, until the Vikings can show us that, hey, we have made a significant enough run to close the thing out the right way to make the playoffs, you're very concerned about every game. Well, here's why I'd feel a little bit better if I were you. I, I think the fact that they ran the ball so well uh, against Pittsburgh and, and kind of went back to old school running, you know, more through the tackles and, and Cook just got through that line. And I mean, they, they, I mean, he had seven, eight yards before anybody touched him. It felt like every Dave, time he to, touched the ball. Hey, Dave, not to cut you off, did you see the last play of the game? I did see the last play of the game. Oh, okay. All right. So, <laughs> I, so, so are you concerned? <laughs> No, I get it. I'm just saying this this yeah, Bears defense is not what we uh, remember. You, you guys can move the ball on this Bears defense right now. We up twenty nine to zero. Yeah, that's true. And it comes down to it comes down to I don't know if it was a great defensive play that we made or the guy just dropped the ball in the end zone. I think it was so a good defensive play by Harrison now, Smith. I, you said that you believe the Vikings, you know, can win this football game. Well, you talk about concern. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. I'm no, yeah, I understand the concern. I mean, you, you look at the schedule; four games left. You, you know, if you don't go three and one, you're, you're likely out. I mean, you, nine and eight has to be the the low water mark. You're eight and nine; you're not getting in. So uh, you got to go three and one. And we know there's a Packer game on Sunday Night Football coming up on January second. And that's going to be difficult. I understand you beat the Packers once, um, but it's a different story at Lambeau in prime time. We know this. That's going to be the tricky one. So the other three, you, you've got to chalk up. And it starts Monday in Chicago. And then the Rams come to town again, short week. Uh, and Stafford on the road, you know, has never been somebody you can really count on. So I think that's winnable as well. And then you close at home against Chicago. I think we can assume that, and I'll say that's going to be the one that, we can put into our pocket right now and say we feel good about that one. But this one's huge. This is the one that gives you hope, gives you life, gives you momentum heading into a Rams team that's, you know, coming in jockeying for playoff positioning. Uh it's it's huge on on Monday night. And I just I don't know. I, I understand the concerns and, and I was the one that said don't worry about Detroit, so don't listen to me. But I, I just don't know if Chicago can stack up another strong performance after what happened on Sunday night. I, I, I'd i be surprised if, if you guys don't win fairly comfortably. Well, you know, you're talking about the Rams and the Packers and the, and the Bears coming in, you know, four weeks from now. We can't even think about the Rams, the Packers, or the Bears. Only Bears team we can think about right now is the one that's in front of us on Monday night. Mm-hmm. We, 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 we cannot afford to look down the road because, you know, we understand it's one game at a time. It's old cliche to say you focus on one game at a time. You know, but how you lose to the Detroit Lions and how you barely hang on, you know, to beat, to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, you know, they're major concerns because you said that you don't think the Bears can put up a, another good performance. But also, we have to put up a good performance. We haven't, we haven't had much luck playing the Bears as a Baden Soldier field. So it's going to come down not to whether the Bears can put up a good performance, can the Vikings put up a good performance. Well, I think you should be encouraged by the offensive line. I thought that was a strong performance as I've seen from uh from Minnesota lately, just the way they, you know, opened up holes for Dalman. Uh no Madison in this game. Uh he's on the COVID list, so a copious amount of Dalvin Cook and, and obviously JJ will be the focus of the passing game. 
with Thielen likely to miss another one. Um, let's pause here. We'll come back. I want to look at some of the other big matchups, Double T, coming up in um, in Week 15 as we close out the final segment. Uh, welcome your calls. If you want to talk some NFL with us, 651-989-5326. Toll-free, 800-320-5326. Uh, we'll continue to look at the slate on Week 15 when we come back. On the fan. back 941 final segment of today's edition of in the zone double t trent tucker joining from home today i am in studio in st louis park brett blakemore running the ship as usual as we look at week 15 in the national football league got an email double t during the break asking you know what would happen if the vikings playoff hopes come down to the game against the packers with the packers having um the overall first seed locked down with the Packers help the Vikings by resting starters. Um, there is no chance that Green Bay will have the number one seed wrapped up leading into week 17. There's just no chance. That would mean that, you know, Tampa Bay has lost a couple. Arizona's lost a couple leading into like these next two games. Both those teams would have to lose both their games. And that's, that's not going to happen. I, um, you know, Green Bay is at the number one spot in light of Arizona's loss. And that's a great spot to be. Um, but Tampa Bay's lurking though, T. I mean, they they could have easily lost to Buffalo. I don't know if you saw that uh the end of that game when um Josh Allen threw to Stephon Diggs in the end zone and it was just overwhelmingly clearly pass interference and they didn't call it. And so they had to settle for the field goal, goes to overtime, and Tampa Bay gets the win. And that to me was their most likely potential slip up against kind of a, a desperate Buffalo team. Tampa's got a really easy schedule the rest of the way. They've got New Orleans tomorrow night, um, and New Orleans has beaten them three straight times in the regular season, but they don't have a quarterback, they don't have a head coach, and so again, Tampa Bay has kind of lucked into the timing here with no Sean Payton. So, no, the Packers will not have the number one seed wrapped up, and no, they wouldn't rest starters to help the Vikings. It's not like, you know, playing in the Big Ten, you want as many teams in the tournament because you all share more money. If more teams make the tournament, that's not how it works in the NFL. It's not like an NFC North fraternity where we want to help our, our brothers in the division. That's that's not the way things work. I know. Yeah. <laughs> this doesn't work that way. Um, let's look at tonight's game. I'm Of all the games this weekend that don't feature our two favorite teams, uh, how can you not be interested in this one tonight? With That's you know, not Brady Manning, obviously, anymore, but the Colts-Patriots rivalry was just fantastic over the last whatever it was, 15, 20 years. And despite not having those two quarterbacks in this game, this is a really compelling matchup because the Patriots, after starting two and four, uh, have won seven straight. And, okay, there have been some circumstances that have worked in their favor. You get Tennessee with all their guys out. You get Buffalo on a crazy night. You know, the things that have worked their way, but that's the way things go. And now yeah. they're they're nine and four. They're atop the AFC right now. And they're playing an indie team that also got off to a slow start. Um, but looks like a playoff team right now, the way they are playing, and they need this game. They're they're seven and six. 
and there are no guarantees for them. This is a game where the Colts can change everyone's perception of them big time if they can get a win tonight at home against uh, Bill Belichick and the Patriots. And the formula tonight, Double T, is hand the ball early and often to Jonathan Taylor because New England has been very susceptible to the run. They've been great against the pass. Mm -hmm. Um, So they've got to make sure that Taylor touches the ball like 30 times. If he gets 25 to 30 touches, I'm a strong believer that that Indy wins this game, a game they are favored by a couple points. Um, we'll, lo- we'll know a lot more, I think, about both of these teams after tonight's game. Do you agree? Yeah, that's very, very true. I agree with that. Um, I, I kind of like Indy. I, I just What scares me is Belichick's coming off a bye. You know, you give him a couple weeks, and he knows what this game can mean. Kansas City's coming. You know, they're right there now in the AFC, and, and Belichick certainly knows for his young team that's overperforming and at a place no one expected them to be, um, they need to get that home game in the playoffs against Kansas City to have a chance. So they have to go to Arrowhead and play. I, I, you know, again, they're good against the pass, but that's that's a tricky proposition. I, you look at what what Belichick's done, and we kind of forget that you know four or five of their best defensive players opted out last season. So yeah. they were bringing all those guys back, and then they spent a ton of money in free agency to help that defense out, led by Matthew Judon, the former. Raven, um, it, it's, I think, just a testament to Belichick. Because you remember a year ago, it's like, see, look at Brady leaves Belichick. He still can win. Belichick's nothing without Brady. And it didn't take uh, old Bill long to flip that script a li- little bit and say, I got a quarterback in here that knows what he's doing, and we'll teach him how to play, and my defense will do the rest. That's That's been quite the story, what the Patriots have done this year. Well, it's the Patriots' way. And when you go and play for Bill Belichick and the, and the Patriots, you know, they expect you to come in with a certain mindset to fit into the culture and to the system, you know, that they're going to have in place. And you talked about them spending a ton of money. A lot of teams spend a ton of money, but if you don't spend spend that money the right way, you can put you behind the eight ball for years to come. You know, and then Robert Kraft and, and Bill Belichick, along with their personnel people, they identified the players that they needed to fit into their system. And, and 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 those are the players they were able to spend the money on. And I think next week they host Buffalo for a rematch. So two really interesting weeks for the Patriots. And we'll know certainly their their perception will be really guided by what they do these next two weeks. If they win these two games at Indy and then sweep the Bills, um, I don't think anybody can say they're not a Super Bowl contender. And who would have thought that, right, heading into this season? Oh, yeah, nobody thought that. Nobody thought that. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at Kansas City and Buffalo and maybe Tennessee uh, as, as the real hat, maybe Baltimore, and here comes New England just doing what they do. Um, but I, I think tonight's game is really interesting. Uh, and I also thought it was kind of cool. You know, they're doing a – HBO's doing a hard knocks on the Colts right now, in-season hard knocks. actually watched yeah. uh, the first couple episodes. It was – it was pretty cool stuff, pretty interesting. And Belichick said this week that they are diving into that series and watching it very closely to see oh, what, yeah. what edges they can get on the Colts by watching, you know, whatever about their players, how they treat them, what, what they're looking at. So, you know, you almost want to be careful about opening yourself up uh, because other teams now see everything inside your organization. So we'll see if uh, if Belichick gets any little little added tips by watching that series. I thought that was kind of what? interesting. Well, you have to game plan, and, and and we all know that you know Bill will use any measure by any means to gain the edge. Whether he may have to, you know, to stretch a few things here or there, you know, bend the rules a little bit. Let's just say, right? Absolutely. 
Yeah, and no so doubt. If, so if, if you want to give him a chance to look at you legally, you know, Bill will try to, you know, he will find a way, you know, to, to knock you off. But that's what, that's what great coaching is all about, is game planning. You know, you talk about, you know, defense, especially in the NBA or defense in the NFL. When you're playing against an opponent, you know, you're, the, the best way to disguise the defensive scheme is to understand what your, what your opponent can and cannot do. Right? And Bill Belichick does that as well as anybody throughout the history of the NFL. No question. Uh, the game that features two division leaders this weekend, that's Baltimore hosting the Packers. And we mentioned earlier Lamar Jackson's availability seriously in question. He did not practice all week. John Harbaugh has said he'll be a game-time decision, uh, but it's hard to believe that uh, they would have him play. I actually think Baltimore might be better served by letting Tyler Huntley play because if Lamar's out there with a bad ankle and he's not a threat to run, um, that that certainly makes things a whole lot easier for Green Bay's defense. I mean, we all know Lamar is a special player, an MVP, and makes things immensely difficult, probably the most difficult guy to defend in the NFL uh, because of what he can do both with his legs and his arm. Um, so I don't think he plays. I think it's Tyler Huntley, the second-year kid out of Utah, who actually led them on a nice comeback last week that fell a little short. Uh, but Green Bay certainly would catch a break if Lamar doesn't play. On the flip oh, side, right? But on the flip side, <laughs> on the flip side, double T. You know, the Packers are down four starting offensive linemen now. Uh, Bakhtiari's not back yet. They lost Billy Turner, Moundsview's own, to a knee injury. Doesn't sound like it's season ending, but I don't know that they'll see him before the playoffs. So they're down four starters, and against a a good front for. Baltimore, that's also ravaged by injuries. Uh, Kelly's Campbell may not play, but that that is a concern for me. I, I give the Packers organization credit for having enough backup linemen that their offense has not yet felt the, the wrath of, of losing four starters, but that will catch up to you. If they lose another player to injury, they've only got seven healthy linemen right now. So that's what I'm watching. Uh, not only the, the special teams problems Green Bay had Sunday night and what that could mean against Baltimore was very good, uh, but that offensive line needs to hold up because they are one more injury, I think, away from catastrophe right now. Well, yeah, you want to you want to have you guys healthy up front for sure to protect Aaron Rodgers as you get close to playoff time. Because if you can't protect Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers at the most critical time of the season, that doesn't bode well for your team. It does not, and it's um, it is hard to run on Baltimore. They're very good against the run, so I'll be curious to see how Dylan and Jones do. And if not, I mean, the, the recipe is you can throw all day on Baltimore. Their, their secondary is terrible. They lost Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey. Their two best corners are out. Uh, they're relying on practice squad guys on the back end. So Green Bay knows they have to protect Aaron because you can throw on this team given time. And I think you'll see a lot of quick passes, short passes against this defense, again, to protect that offensive line. Um, but this is a game that started out, Green Bay was a three- or four-point favorite. Now they're a seven-point favorite because of the Lamar Jackson injury and obviously a big break for, for my favorite team if uh, if Lamar is not out there because that's just a shell of a team without I think he will without play. him. Do you, do you really? I think he will play. I'd be shocked if he doesn't play. Well, he, really, he was carted off the field last week. Well, I, you know, I, 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 I've seen a lot of players carted off the field and come back and play. Yeah, we saw Dalvin do that, didn't we? Not, uh, yeah. not that long ago. I mean, I, mean, I mean, we carried Michael Jordan to the locker room. I said he's done for the series. There's no way he can play. Yeah, I said he might come back for Game Five, but we have two games to zero against the Atlanta Hawks in '93. He he he, he turned his ankle over so badly we had to take him off the roster. There's no way he can play. 
he finished the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose you never know. I mean, you know, Anthony Davis went out with a foot injury. It looked terrible. He comes right back, and then he hurts his other knee, and then that cost him the rest of the game. Hopefully, he's not out. But sometimes guys just look, you know, so injured, and you're just shocked to see them back on the field. I remember oh, yeah. uh, the Lambo game I went to a couple of years ago, and Rodgers got carted off in the first yeah. half against the Bears, and I just thought, there goes the season, and he comes back in the second half. Second yeah. half and, I mean, and you know, you're, talking about, you're talking about great athletes who are in great shape. You know, some of these guys have these healing powers. They may not be 100%, but they have, they have the will and the determination and the mindset to go out there and get it done, you know, when, when they're facing you know, excruciating pain. And that's the mental toughness that you talk about when guys reach a certain level. And we asked Michael, what are you doing? He said, if I can get through this game, which is game number three, and if we can win game number three and our next opponent, you know, they are one and one, so they're going to play for another five to ten days. If we can get those five to ten days off, that's going to give me a chance to heal up, you know, for round number two. So that was the mindset of him at that time, knowing that he was not 100%, but he felt like that he could be good enough to get us over the hump, and he did. Yep, those, the great ones seem to rise above. We'll see if Lamar is able to do that for Baltimore uh, tomorrow. Final minute, Double T. Um, Wolves, big win last night against the Lakers. They'll face Dallas now back-to-back. No Ant. We'll see how long he is out. But we're out now for a couple of weeks, so we'll have a lot of Wolves games to watch between now and then. But uh, three straight wins after the five-game losing streak. Uh, we're all feeling better about where this team is sitting right now. That's true. You're right about that. Uh, great night for Cat last night, 28-10. and 10. Uh, Wolves take down the Lakers, 110-92. to 92. We're out Christmas Day. We're back New Year's Day. Double T, have a wonderful Christmas with the family. Enjoy the hockey this weekend, and we will see you in a couple weeks. All right. Same to you as well. Double T, Trent Tucker, um, joining from his home today. For him, for uh, Brett Blakemore, we thank you so much for listening today. Uh, Fantasy Football Weekly is up next. Uh, We'll have NFL football tonight, Colts and Patriots, and, of course, much on the Vikings and Bears all day tomorrow on The Fan. Enjoy your Saturday, and uh, have a wonderful Christmas, everybody. Until then, peace out.